Great morning, everyone. Uh, we are in the last of our Romans 8 uh, series on the life in the Spirit. Uh, and it's been about living a life in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and His role in our lives. I've loved uh, unpacking and getting into more of the depths of what Paul says about the Holy Spirit. We've, uh, we've looked at the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is within us. How amazing is that? Uh, the Spirit that broke uh, the Son of God out of His death uh, and resurrected Him lives within us. Uh, we've looked at what it, what it means to live according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. We've looked at the promise that if we are led by the Spirit, then we are called children of God. We've been adopted by Him. And if you remember, Paul talked uh, about the, the witnesses of adoption, that in the adoption ceremony, uh, witnesses are called forth to say, we know that the, this person, this child has been adopted and that the Holy Spirit acts as our witness so that when we doubt or when we feel like maybe we aren't living according to the calling that he has given to us as adopted children, the witness, uh, the witness is a spirit and he bears witness to our adoption. Like Stuart said, today's slot is about prayer, but it's more than prayer. I think it's a pretty complex passage that speaks about something way bigger and mysterious than can be articulated. So uh, I'm going to need your prayers this morning as uh, we uh, go on this journey together to unpack this last bit, this last passage of Romans 8. Uh, I'd love it if you would pray with me um, as we start. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're within us. Thank you for your power. Thank you that uh, you brought Jesus from the dead. You resurrected him and you live inside of us and we just take a moment to remember that and to be astounded again by that truth and we pray that as we go on this journey with you this morning you would help me communicate and we'd all have our hearts open to what you want to speak into us as we try and articulate this mysterious almost unarticulatable truth thank you that you're with us amen Great, I'd love you to open your Bible at Romans chapter 8, and if you've got a notebook or a phone for you to dig that out, we're going to go back into some of the passage in Romans 8, and we're, I'd love you to be able to refer to that as I'm talking, and for you to jot down things that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about this morning, so that you can go, and in your week, uh, just reflect on that and allow it to uh, stir something in your heart that will take you deeper in your connection with him. So perhaps nowhere else in the whole of uh, the scripture are we told more about the Holy Spirit's relationship to prayer than in this passage in Romans 8. We're told about the, uh, that the initiative and the dynamic of prayer that's described in this passage comes actually from God the Father by the Holy Spirit. So it's not a thing that's initiated by us, but it's initiated by the initiator of life himself, uh, God the Father. And I think at first glance, it might seem a little bit weird. Uh, we wonder, what does this groaning look like and what does it really mean? But this is God in us, the Holy Spirit in us, appealing to God above us. It's kind of deep, calls to deep. It's something mysterious and complex. I really hope I can do it justice as we go on this journey together to form more of our understanding of the Spirit and his work inside of us and through us. 
So the passage, it starts with this uh, line, in the same way, and goes on to talk about the Holy Spirit helping us in our weakness or our limitation. And so I don't think you can take this passage in isolation. We need to look at the passage that Stuart spoke about last week and the uh, passage that was spoken about the week uh, before. It links back to the previous paragraph on the brokenness uh, that creation is experiencing. Paul talks about creation groaning, and it talks also about uh, us as uh, the adopted sons and daughters also groaning. So let's do a recap on that. So in Romans 8, verse 18, if you have a look at that, uh, Paul says, uh, talks about our present sufferings and our future hope, and Paul talks about an eager expectation and a hope, and he uses this Greek word that didn't exist before. In fact, he's trying to articulate something uh, that is inarticulatable, and so he had to create a whole new word uh, to express the kind of hope that he's feeling. He says, uh, creation is eagerly anticipating, eagerly anticipating. I made uh, this word up. Have you ever heard a word uh, that someone's made up, but you know exactly what it means right from the beginning? So as Paul is talking, uh, he makes a word up, but he uh, uses the word and everyone would have known exactly what it meant because it was three words put together. So here, let me uh, explain to you. Um, I'm a little bit messy. Paul's a bit more tidy at home. And uh, quite often, I put my clothes uh, on the chair drobe. Actually, I put them on the floor drobe uh, rather than the wardrobe. And so uh, Poppy, who's uh, our little organizer, will often come in and she'll say, I picked your clothes up, Mummy, and I folded them up and I put them uh, into your wardrobe. But for me, my clothes live on the chair drobe. So the Greek word that Paul uses uh, that he made up in that moment, uh, he only ever uses in one other uh, moment in the New Testament. And it's in the book of Philippians when he is writing to his friends. And Paul is in prison in Rome and he's writing to his friends in Philippi. And he uses this exactly the same word. The word is apokaradokia. He uses it to describe his future, uh, future hope. And if you remember, in Philippians 1 verse 20, he says, I eagerly expect and hope, I apokaradokia, that I will in no way be ashamed. And he goes on to say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So this word, apokaradokia, is three words in one. Um, apo, it means to turn away with concentration, ignoring all other interests around us. Kara means head, and dokia means to stretch or to strain forward. So to turn away with concentration, ignoring all other interests, your head, and uh, to stretch and to strain forward. So paraphrasing Paul in prison, writing to his friends uh, in Philippi, he says, I'm in prison, I can't get out of this cell, but I'm on my tiptoes, I'm stretching forward, my neck is turned away from all of this suffering and this captivity, I'm looking to the future, and I'm straining towards the hope and the future that I have, that he has given for me. So in the same way, in Romans 8, Paul speaks about creation. He gives creation almost like a bit of a personality. He says, creation is on her tiptoes. Uh, her 
even though she's in prison, perhaps in chains, uh, perhaps there's this liberation and this bondage that he talks about, but she is on her tiptoes, her neck is stretched out, she has turned her head towards the future, and even though she's longing and she's aching, she is looking to the future glory and the liberation that Jesus has brought for her. And so there's a groaning and an aching and a straining within creation, within humanity. All systems and structures of society stood on tiptoes, head turned, neck outstretched, longing, the Bible says, for the mature sons and daughters to be revealed to the world, to break the li- into liberation, to begin to lead in her creative, sacrificial, compassionate way in the way that the church was always made for. So verse 22, creation is groaning and longing. Creation's on tiptoes, neck outstretched, head turned towards. And in verse 23, Paul says, we also wait eagerly and we also groan. Not only so, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship and the redemption of our bodies. So in this process that can't be taken uh, on its own in isolation, looking back to the groaning of creation, the groaning within us as his people, and then uh, Paul talks about the groaning of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit plays four key roles in this process process and partnership with us. So I want to talk you through those four things. The first one is he helps us in verse 26. He helps us in our weakness and in our present limitations. It's as if uh, we know that we have a weight to carry or there's a groaning and a brokenness because of the fall. And we say we can't carry all of this, but the Holy Spirit comes in and says, I'm going to help you lift it and we're going to carry this together. You might not be able to do it yourself, but I'm going to take the weight with you. When we know that we are limited in some way, it's the best place we can be as Christians. In Matthew 5, when Jesus talks to his friends on the mountain, he says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you feel like you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. Left to ourselves, we don't know what to pray. But the Holy Spirit is our helper and our comforter. Our weakness is the best qualification for us to receive the Spirit's help. He's the help to the helpless. Our extremity is his opportunity. And so when we feel empty and broken, when we are aware of our limitations and our humanity, our frailty, it's then when we can understand and know that it's in his strength that we stand In our emptiness, the truth is he fills us with himself and it's the best place we can be. In fact, the Bible talks about those who are poor or those who are hungry as the ones who will rebuild the ancient ruins, rebuild the cities, establishes the place for God to live. And so when we feel poor, and not just materially, but when we feel poor emotionally or we feel poor spiritually, we feel like we can't go on without anyone else helping us. It's then that he pours himself into us and he uses us to establish 
his kingdom. God doesn't just announce good news to the poor, but he advances his kingdom through the poor. And so we could possibly all stand here, maybe not materially poor, maybe materially poor, but uh, possibly emotionally feeling at the end of it or feeling like there's other things that we need in our life. And when that happens, that's the best place for us to be because God can pour himself in. The promise is that he helps us and that he'll change us and shape us as we allow him in. And the outcome will be glorious. He works all things for our good. So he helps us. But the second thing is he also pleads for us. In verse 26, uh, he pleads for us. So the question is, what does it mean for God to plead for us? How does he plead for us? Well, the Bible, the passage says, he pleads for us with sighs that are too deep for words. The Holy Spirit helps and pleads on our behalf. He lives within us, like we've already said, and uh, this activity takes place in our hearts. So we read in the Bible that Jesus is sat at the right hand of the Father, and he makes intercession or he prays for us. It's different to that. So Jesus is in heaven with the Father, interceding on our behalf, but the Spirit is within us, and he is Uh, pleading and praying with us, within us. It is, as Paul's trying to articulate something, uh, that he himself is saying it's inarticulatable. I feel like I've got a tricky task of trying to articulate. And so I'm just going to use a few kind of stories and um, metaphors, and hopefully something will sink and land in your heart so you know uh, what I'm talking about. I think there's... um, There's loads of moments in our lives that we don't use words and we try and express something deep and meaningful uh, to the people around us or to to ourselves. So yesterday at um, a live, some of the men uh, played a football match against uh, our friends down the road, the Redeemed Church of God. And so we had a friendly match and we went to to cheer them on and uh, it was a bit tense. Uh, They scored. No, we scored. And then they scored. And then everyone, all the guys on the line, I was dead chilled. I'm like dead chilled about it. All on the line, they're getting like, come on! Like really cheering their mates on. And then uh, Nick Elliott equalized again. I'm not, I would make a really bad football commentator because I think I've got the goals mixed up. But anyway, there was this point where we were like losing and then uh, we equalized. And uh, all of the guys like absolutely went crazy, ran onto the pitch, ah! absolutely loved it. Uh, just a, oh, well done guys, uh, didn't cut it. But there was something within them uh, experiencing the joy and the delight of the goal that was scored as they ran on the pitch. For me, it'd be the pleasure of a really delicious meal when the flavors are so intense and delicious that you can only make those kind of, mmm, that was amazing, mmm. When we're surprised or shocked, uh, someone jumps out at us, we scream. When something so humorous has tickled us, we chuckle from the, uh, the depths of our belly with amusement. Or when grief takes over and deep sobs emerge from our gut that express our disappointment and our pain. I wonder if you've been in any of those moments recently and you can understand what I'm talking about. I love this quote that I read as I was preparing. The feelings that can be spoken are shallow. 
language breaks down in the attempt to express our deepest emotions and our truest love. For all the deepest things in man, inarticulate utterance is the most self-revealing. Grief can say more in a sob and a tear than in many weak words. Love finds its tongue in the light of an eye and the clasp of a hand. The groanings which rise from the depths of the Christian soul cannot be forced into the narrow framework of human language. And just because they're unutterable, they're to be recognized as the voice of the Holy Spirit. So the groanings here that Paul's expressing in Romans 8 speak of a stirring of emotion so deep that they are unable to be put into words. He takes our inarticulate aspirations, our feeble, faltering requests, and he so fills them with himself that they become whatever we can make ourselves. Prayers that rise that are acceptable to God. So it's like when we're at the end of ourselves. It all feels really overwhelming. We don't know what to pray. All we know is that we have something that we can expect in our future that's not quite here just yet. And we turn our heads towards that future. We stretch our neck out. We allow a straining or an aching and a groaning to kind of come from within, not necessarily uttered out loud, but definitely within our spirit and within our groan. Sometimes with words, sometimes with tears, sometimes without sound, but because we can't even communicate how we're feeling. Sometimes I think that's why we sing. We sing on a Sunday as we gather together because the love of Jesus is way too big for us to express just with words. And we need to bring something out of ourselves and just declare it to the heavenlies again. Our groaning is a response to the groaning of creation and is joined with the groaning of heaven and the groaning or even the roaring of our Father who is actively working around us in our circumstances to make all things new and to restore all things. So we've got a couple of stories that I think will help illustrate sometimes or experiences that I think I've heard this either in my spirit or uh, with my audible proper ears. Um, I heard a story about a church in King's Cross, um, a church that was planted. It's a large Anglican church and it's led by a guy called Pete Hughes. And uh, King's Cross was always probably not as much now it's been regenerated, but was really well known for prostitution and drugs and homelessness. And they established this church in the heart of King's Cross with a desire to bring renewal to that area. And there's a um, nightclub and a horror movie uh, club that was right in the center of of the area. And they, as a church, decided that they wanted to go and have a worship event in that club, a club that had uh, promoted terror and horror films, a club uh, that uh, promoted um, lust and objectification of people, cheap thrills. And they planned to have a joyous celebration of the kingdom of heaven in that place where the name of Jesus would be lifted high. So they planned also to record a worship album in this nightclub and music producers were coming over from California to record the album and there was this young music producer under 30 uh, that was coming on a flight and over on the flight he had a cardiac arrest and died in a London hospital the day before the event that was planned. They decided to go, event, uh, go ahead with the event because it was uh, what the family of uh, the man who died um, wanted. And uh, they were planning this joyous celebration, but it kind of turned into something different. It was more of a uh, petition of heaven 
and a worshipping of the name of Jesus in the face of pain and brokenness uh, in that area, but also as something like death kind of smacks you in the face, you know that uh, there is a limitation of life on earth, but there's a future glory that we wait for. So they went ahead, and as part of the evening, a spontaneous shout, a kind of roar came out of the congregation that was recorded. It was kind of a grief response, um, a brokenness response to the world around them, but also a defiance, standing against the plans of the enemy, a commitment to continue to be revealed to the world as a congregation, revealed to the world as sons and daughters, to bring the liberation of heaven to that area in King's Cross. And as I listened to the recording of it, I was putting my washing out uh, in my garden and there's something that stirred within me. There was, uh, the only way I could describe it is it's a bit of a Christian word, but an anointing over that moment where people's spirit was stirred and as they shouted out to heaven, partnering with the groaning of all of creation and the groaning of the spirit himself within them as something powerful uh, that as a bit weirdly in a contained garden so no one else saw but I just fell to my knees and worshipped Jesus because he's the king of kings and something within me also stirred and came out uh, as I prayed and said God in King's Cross yes let your kingdom come but here in Lincoln too the groaning of creation was stirring uh, and I partnered with the Holy Spirit to pray Uh, I didn't know how to pray but I did know to pray there's another situation for me personally that I um, hadn't really thought about for a long time. But as I was preparing this, it just came back into my head. And um, it's a bit subjective and it's a bit uh, difficult to be able to necessarily say that this is what's happened. But I just wanted to tell you the story. Um, In 2005, uh, my sister was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And um, we prayed for her, me and um, a bunch of my friends, maybe 30 or 40 people from church. Uh, at the time, Paul and I were leading um, the student ministry at the church. And so we had loads of students and a few graduates, and we would gather in our house Monday to Friday at 6 o'clock every night, and we would pray for half an hour for my sister that she would be healed. And I had full faith and expectation. I was on my tiptoes, my neck was outstretched, and I was looking to the future glory, knowing that I could pull it to earth right now so that she could walk into her healing. I had no anticipation that she wouldn't make it and that she would die. And just uh, maybe three months into the journey, four months into the journey, I got a phone call from my mum saying, you need to come home to Yorkshire. Uh, Faith has got a few days at the most. I I was shocked. It's not what we'd planned for and it's not what we prayed for. And um, we went back and we, for two weeks, sat with her as she was on high medication, um, deteriorating because of the cancer in her body. Continue to pray, God, would you please healer and uh, towards the end of that two weeks um, it was our student weekend away and we didn't know whether we should go or not but we um, we decided to go and hang out with our friends and our community from uh, the church in another part of Yorkshire and um, and just have a bit of a break and as we had worship time with uh, the people that we who'd stood with us and prayed with us for the last three months I was just coming to terms with this, like, what's going to happen? This brokenness of, God, you're the healer. So I'm standing in the mystery, and I don't understand why she's deteriorating. And all I can describe in worship that happened was this, um, it feels a bit vulnerable to say, but like, um, 
a shout came out of me, a shout that um, was almost like, God, break through, but also, God, it's a shout of submission, of I will uh, join with heaven in praying for your will to be done because you're the healer, but I will also submit my life to whatever it is that you choose, whatever it is that happens in this situation. I will follow you, Jesus, for the rest of my life, and I will let you, I will worship you and lift you up as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I'm, I think I made a crazy noise. But also, all my friends joined in around me as they connected with the Spirit of God in them and uh, in the room as they connected with the groaning and the brokenness of creation. But as they also said, we're in this together and we're going to celebrate Jesus above anything else. And as I've been going back to that this week and thinking, I don't quite know what that is because, again, it's inarticulatable. It makes me think of Aslan in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Do you know the bit that as he breaks the power of the curse of the evil white witch, as he's on the stone table and he's strapped down and then Lucy and Susan are around him crying uh, because they're so disappointed, representing the crucifixion and the sacrifice, but also the resurrection of Jesus. And he breaks out of the things that have been strapping him down and he comes back to life and Lucy and Susan are amazed and they come and stand by him. And he makes this massive roar, this roar. He says, you need to cover your ears. We're going to go. And he takes Lucy and Susan to the battle uh, where Peter and Edmund and all of the Narnians are battling against the white witch. They're losing. He stands on the top of the cliff. He sees the battle and he lets out a deep and powerful roar that announces his involvement with his troops, the Narnians, to prevail against the witches' troops. And on behalf of the people, he goes to rescue them from the witch. Then we've got a clip just so you can see what I'm talking about. Yeah, the inward groaning that Romans 8 talks about is an expression of the deep brokenness of the world that momentarily collides with our lives And we're moved with compassion or pain or disappointment in the depths of who we are. And as we are moved, we lean towards him. Our heads are turned. Our neck is outstretched. We are ignoring everything else in front of us. And our face is set towards the future glory and the hope that one day will come in all its fullness. Our souls longing and aching and groaning, often without words, but in certain anticipation of a different future. And so he helps us and he pleads for us. He carries it with us. He's within us and he's praying for us. And as we join him in it, we can trust him that his will will be done. Because the third step of the process or the truth in this passage is that he always prevails. The key here is that the Holy Spirit is guiding us into God's will, according to his will, the passage says. He's shaping our prayers and he's shaping us. He aligns our will with God's will. Samuel Chadwick says he quickens desire, he purifies motive, he inspires confidence and he assures faith. This is the deep mystery of prayer. I feel like I can't really articulate it properly because it is so much of a mystery, but that's okay because our God is way bigger than we could even comprehend. 
But here's my attempt. The Spirit knows what is in the mind of the Father. The Father knows what's in the mind of the Spirit. The Spirit searches our heart and brings truth and illumination and the will of God into being. The true object of our desires isn't always clear to us. You know, if we were given a, you can have all your wishes and dreams come true right now, most of us with any wisdom would say, we're not really sure what that would look like because we trust one who is bigger and higher, who sees the end from the beginning to guide our path. And I'm so grateful that we pray to a God who can discern the prayer within the prayer and often gives the substance Uh, gives the substance of our petitions in a way that perhaps we didn't explicitly ask for, we can't even imagine. So when we say yes to following Jesus, it's an actual surrender, knowing that not only does he provide the help, not only does he plead for us, but his will will prevail in our life, and he also provides for us. So the verses that we've looked at uh, lead to the kind of pinnacle or the assurance of verse 28. He causes everything to work together for our ultimate good. I know it often doesn't feel like it. But the Holy Spirit provides everything we need for our life. He can be trusted. He intercedes for God's will to be accomplished in us and through us. He works everything for our good. And this isn't about happily ever after, according to the dominant story of our day. The Western post-Christian story that we are immersed in as people here living in Lincoln says to us we can only be happy when life is shiny, when we've got everything we want on a plate, when we've achieved the beauty standard set out by the advertisers, or when we're successful in the way that they think we should. But God's standard is really different. It's about emptying ourselves so that he can fill us. It's about growing in love and joy and peace and patience and self-control. It's about loving our neighbors in the same way that we love ourselves. It's about trusting him with our lives so that he can shape himself inside of us. I wonder if Dave uh, could come up. So I want to end here and I want us to have an opportunity to respond to Jesus. As we invite Jesus in, the same spirit that dwells within us helps us to reimagine our perspective. And we immerse our story, our lives in the story of Jesus, not the story of the world around us or our culture. And we remember that we're not here to be successful or uh, to get by and to have a a happy, nice life according to what the world would say. But we are here to be revealed to the world. We are his adopted sons and daughters. We're here to be part of the liberation of creation, to bring people out of darkness into light, to set the captives free, to be ministers of reconciliation. And as we align with that story, we can be sure that we are aligning ourselves to God's will. He hears our prayers, often our wordless, soundless groans from the depths of within us because he's birthed them inside of us. And he causes everything to work together for our good. And over our pain and frustration and brokenness, he roars this guttural, metaphoric roar of passion and power and purification and partnership with him because the end of the story is already written. It does all work out. He's already won the war. 
And our job is to trust him so deeply that we turn our heads towards that reality. We stand on tiptoes, we stretch our neck out. We allow the groaning and the aching within us to emerge and to partner with the Holy Spirit towards a different day and a future world that we can pull into the present right now. That's our job, to reveal the world to this world. The world that we were created to inhabit and rule from and bring that in our prayers into this world right now. So I often think about that moment in 2005 when I let this roar come out that I was pretty embarrassed about but that my friends joined in with me when I cried from the depths of my heart and I think something was birthed and shaped in me for more of the hope of heaven to come to earth. My sister died six days later, but I stand with my family in absolute victory because my head's turned towards the future and even in the pain, it doesn't take the pain away, but even in the pain I can stand and I can allow something to stir within me for the greater good because he prevails, his will gets done And he works all things for my good, and I can stand and say that. He's working all things together for my good. But my good looks like his good. My good looks like the renewal of the city. My good looks like heaven coming to earth. My good looks like lives changed for his purposes, not a happy life for me. And I'll stand in that truth, knowing that something inside of me can stir. Something can be birthed in my heart. And a partnership with my Father and the Spirit within me brings something out. And so I want to invite you today to join in the whole of creation. I want you to stand on your tiptoes. I want you to stretch your neck out. I want your heart and your head to be turned towards the kingdom of heaven, the city, where there's no more brokenness, there's no more pain, there's no more despair because the old things have passed away and he's making all things new. And that's our prayer today as we join with creation, that he would in our lives, in our circumstances, in our street that we live in, in our workplace tomorrow, uh, in the thing that he's given for us to steward, we would with him make all things new as we align our groan and our ache with him. And just to remind you that he's got that cliff top perspective like Aslan did. And we can join him from living from that place. And so I want to kind of give you two invitations really. The first one is that if you're in a moment of pain and brokenness, where the, the ache just feels almost unbearable, this is a really safe place for you to find some truth and some people around you that love you. And we've got a ministry team that would love to pray with you and stand with you after the service. We're going to sing a song. And I want to invite, uh, for those of you who don't really feel that much of an ache, but you want to, because you want to connect with the ache and the groaning of creation, and you want to connect with the Holy Spirit in you, for us just to open our hearts again to Him, and to say, yes, God, I am on a mission with you to see your future city come to this city today. He's got work, good work to do through you. And so we just want to dedicate ourselves again to him for that. So we're going to pray a prayer.
Perhaps you pray this for the first time and you've never been in any of our meetings before and you're wondering what the heck is she talking about with this groaning, but then something might maybe connects with the depths of who you are and you're thinking, actually, I want to connect with this. Then I want to invite you to pray this prayer with us. And if you pray this prayer every week, this is a great discipline. The church throughout the centuries have confessed that we can't do it on our own and we say yes again and we join with the whole of the church across uh, the globe today as we realign our lives again with Jesus Christ for the week ahead. And so we're going to pray this prayer out loud and if you prayed it for the first time, I'm going to ask everyone else to close their eyes and I'm just going to ask you to put your hand in the air so we can see you and a friend will come and sit with you and pray with you and chat with you about uh, what it is and this journey that we're on. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for loving me before I ever loved you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that I can get connected to you now because you are alive today. I admit that I have lived my life without you and have messed up. I ask for your total forgiveness and I commit myself to you. Help me to submit my life to your teaching and direction from now on. I receive you into my life and ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Amen. So if everyone could close your eyes, bow your head. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, I'd just love you to uh, indicate by putting your hand high in the air and someone will come to you in the balcony as well. Okay. I'd love you to stand to your feet. I'd love you to get yourself on your metaphorical tiptoes. I'd love you to stretch your neck out and look towards the future. We're just going to finish by declaring uh, these truths of what Jesus has done for us. And we add our uh, contribution and partnership to the Holy Spirit as we pray. God, let your kingdom come. Let heaven invade in our life, our circumstances, and let your will be done. Amen.